Good morning, friends. As we get started today, I just would encourage you to grab a Bible, maybe a pen or paper, or something to take some notes on. If you are just joining us, we have been working our way ever so slowly through the book of Philippians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And what we've been calling this series simply is 414 to recall this passage from chapter 4, verse 14, where Paul says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And what we've been saying is, we want people to be praying for one another to lift up the troubles and burdens that we see around us in our own homes and in our neighborhoods and in our communities. So we've been asking people to set an alarm on their phone or on their watch that we all would pray at 4.14. wonder how that's going for you. It hasn't been great for me, actually. I've noticed at 4.14, I'm always interrupted. So for example, this week at 4.14, I was delivering a lemon to a friend. I was on the phone with a man who's in danger of losing his business. I was talking to my mom about making sure she stays socially distanced. I was um, in the restroom. And I've been really bothered by that. I've been irritated by it until I realized this, actually. Troubles, they always come uninvited. They always come at inconvenient times. And so all of a sudden, that moment, even in the middle of the interruption, has turned out to actually be, for me, a good reminder to continue for us to pray together, even in the middle of troubles, even in the middle of irritation, even in the middle of just even a brief pause in the middle of whatever else that I've been doing. And it's been good for me. And I've liked to know that many of you are joining us. If you've not yet done that, now is the time. Just set a simple alarm at 414, and together we can share in the troubles of the people who are around us. So if you have been doing it, thank you. Keep it up. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. And if uh, you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it up there. And as you're finding Philippians chapter 1, let me just give you a quick little summary of where we've been. Paul is in prison. He is apart from these people that he loves so much. And at the same time, he knows that they are united. They are together in heart. And what we said just the beginning a couple weeks ago as we started this, this study simply is this. That God longs to see them, that He longs. Mm-hmm, sorry, folks. Um, that God has. Um, so, as you turn to Philippians chapter one, let me just give you this uh, short little summary. Paul is in prison, and he wants to write to this group of people that he loves so much uh, in the city of Philippi. And what he wants them to know is that God has started something and God is going to see it through. Even while they are apart, united in heart, but apart in the flesh, he wants them to know that God is at work doing something for them and he longs for them. He has a heart for them. And as we study what it is that Paul says here, we can learn how to think God's thoughts after God, both the way I think about you and the way I hope you will think about one another Um, and frankly, also um, about me. So uh, today he stirs a a prayer with them, starting on chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. 
Let me, uh, let me read it aloud for all of us. Paul writes, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Friends, as I've been reading this, I just have been so challenged, as I almost always am, by Paul's prayers. And I just have a couple things I want to share with you today. One of the primary things that I learned about this, about, uh, from this passage today simply is this, is love has a direction. It has a telos. It has a purpose. And I have to tell you, I constantly need that reminder because that's actually not the way that our culture really thinks about love very often. Usually love is a thing that we simply have. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. But Paul, what he does here is he actually connects love, this emotion, with our mind. And that connection is somewhat strange to us. And what he prays, actually, is that our love will abound more and more, that it will overflow. He says, I pray that whatever happens now, whatever love you have now, will take off, that it will grow. And he says, as it grows, here's what I hope that it looks like. First of all, he says that this love, he prays that it will bring knowledge and depth of insight. He writes, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul wants our love to go deep, for it to affect our mind and our imaginations and the way that we see the world. He wants our love to echo the love of Christ, to work the love of Christ into our way of thinking and being. It's a little like taking a drink of water. Imagine you have two choices before you from water to drink. You can drink water that is um, from a pond or water that is pulled from a deep well. Which would you choose? Paul says he wants the water like a deep well to come springing out of us because it's deep and it's steady. He prays for our water, to, for our, our love to sort of be deep in that same way where it's cool, it's refreshing, it's actually healthier and purer, but also in this prayer, harder to attain. The love that he prays for is, is like that, that it's pure and healthy and refreshing, that we would grow in our depth of insight and knowledge and wisdom in Christ. Second, he also prays that this love would prompt actual moral discernment and action. The love actually has a, um, pulls actions from us. He writes, and he prays that it will abound so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Oftentimes we think of love as being the, sort of the ultimate moral action in and of itself. As the Beatles have so famously said, all you need is love. But in this prayer, love also drives a growing clarity about how we should act and live and 
and work in the world. It, it springs right action out of us. You know, in Paul's day, there were lots of moral issues that were blurry and distorted and confusing, and it wasn't always easy to know how to act. Actually, in our day, the issues before us are often blurry and confusing, and we don't always know how to act. And Paul prays that our love would deepen, that it would be informed, that actually our love, as this discernment sort of grows within us, that we would become more and more like him. That our clarity and our love and our moral action would all line up in a way that echoes the the beauty of the way we've been made and called to live as saved people in Christ. So Paul prays that our love deepens, that it actually informs and, and even sort of changes our actions. And finally he says, this love will bring fruit. He prays that it will be that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He prays that this deep insight and this new way of life in love will actually bring fruit through us and for those who are around us, like a tree planted by streams of water. We have time later today, maybe read Psalm 1. Paul prays that it grows. There's no mention of fruit at the beginning of their prayer, but by the end, he prays for fruit. Something that is sweet and nutritious and good, not just for you, but for those who are around you. And what he says is that fruit is the fruit of righteousness. It's the fruit of good and beautiful and pure living. He says that's what it means to live in Christ. He prays that our love will abound and that it will bring a new kind of clarity and purity that will bring forth fruit that's good for us and also good for those who are around you. But friends, I also want to really be clear that he, what he says about this is really is we're joining in something that God is already doing. Remember, just a couple weeks ago, what we said is, is, is God is on the move and he's going to see that to completion. And, and now this prayer is actually an invitation that we get swept up into the story of what God's going to do with us or without us. But it's so much better, so much more beautiful if we can allow ourselves to be part of that big overarching story of God's salvation. And so we praise that we will grow in depth that we will grow in discernment and in action, and that we will have fruitful lives. That's been Paul's prayer in this passage. And as I've been um, reading it throughout this week, I want you to know it also has been my prayer for you, that we will simply participate in the plan that God is already enacting. And somehow, and in some way that we can't see, and that is not always obvious to us, these circumstances are part of that plan. Whatever God is doing, he's not caught by surprise. He's not overwhelmed. He's not shocked by this story that we're living right now. Instead, echoing Paul's prayer, what if we use this time to grow in depth, to let our actions spring out of us in a new and a fresh way in Christ? to develop a fruit that's good for us and for those who are around us. See, this love that's described here actually is the love of Christ. 
It actually is an echo. It's a description of exactly what God himself was doing even at that last supper. So this supper, this communion moment, is is even one of those kinds of places where we can reenact this love. We can discover it and we can be fueled and nurtured and nourished by it. As we come to this table, which you probably can't see, I know some of you are alone, but we're together. And friends, I want this moment to feel like you are in communion with the whole church. I know some of you don't have elements. That's okay. Um, When you can procure them, just play this last couple minutes of this worship service and join us then. I know some of you have people um, at home, maybe children at home, are not yet ready to participate in communion. That's okay. Just offer them a blessing. Let them know that this meal is intended to be a blessing when they're ready to say yes to Jesus and to follow him with their heart and their way of life and in their depth of discernment. So, Fred's follow along. On the night which Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting with his disciples And he took some bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you as an act of deep love. Take and eat it. And then after the supper, he took the cup and he poured it out. And he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink it and remember me. And the Apostle Paul says in one of his other letters that whenever it is that we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim his saving death until he comes again to put it all to rights on that day that Paul talks about here, the day of the Lord. So friends, let me invite you both as I pray and then as we sing this next song to simply share in communion and maybe share a few moments in prayer together. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for these simple and elemental gifts, how they tell this story that Paul is so eager for us to know from this passage, that this love would go deep, that it would transform us, that it would yield fruit in our lives. So we come before you in this moment and we say, we pray these simple elements would simply seal that promise, not only that we have this hunger and this thirst, but that you will be our satisfaction. So Lord, be with us as we take these simple elements right now. In Jesus' name, amen.